Hey ladies, welcome to the podcast from On She Goes, a travel site for all women of color. I'm your host, Aminatusu. I travel for business a lot, probably about 170 days a year. There's an art form to business travel, but it doesn't always come naturally. Lucky for you, I know the queens of business travel. Today's episode is all about traveling out of obligation, how to fail at it, and how to do it successfully. And you know who does it really successfully? Roxanne Gay. Roxanne is a writer and author of the books Bad Feminist, An Untamed State, and Difficult Women. So let's quit this intro and give her a call. Hello. Hi, Roxanne. Hi, Amina. This is making me very happy because I read both of your books on airplanes. Nice. And let me tell you, Untamed State in a Plane is the most, all you want to do is get off of the plane. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) I will never forget that flight. I'm like, it's time for this plane to land because I need somebody to hold me. People watching the movie on the plane is going to be even more depressing. Oh, yeah. Everybody should watch your movie on a plane. So it'll be great. Can't wait to catch it on my next flight. (laughs) (laughs) Have fun with that flight. (laughs) From the snippets that we get from you on Twitter, it seems that you are traveling a lot. Yes, I travel about three or four times a month. Is that mostly for for fun or for work? It's only for work. Yeah, and so you're traveling for business pretty frequently. Do you have an airline that you're loyal to? And you don't have to say which one it is, but like, have you figured out the mile situation for you and how much travel that you're doing? Yeah, I have status on three airlines. Like very high status? Mm-hmm. I'm platinum on American and Delta, and I am the entry-level one on United because I don't like United. Do you take advantage of all the perks like the lounges? Yeah, I have the credit cards. My experience has been that, like, there are not a lot of women in those spaces, and there are definitely not a lot of women of color. Mm -hmm. And so I always find it a very—it's, like, a very weird experience. And I've been traveling my entire life because my parents are diplomats, and I was like, oh, my entire life, like, this is not changing. This is very strange. It's really strange. I started noticing it when I started flying exclusively first class, and I would stand in line and people would ask me— which still happens, like, are you in the right line, as if I can't read. And when you're in first class, that's when you really begin to notice that white men dominate business travel. And in the lounges, you notice that as well. And it's always been just fascinating to me. Yeah, it's like, it's very strange. And it's such a, I, I guess, like, as somebody who works in the business world, I'm like, oh, this makes sense. If I'm the only woman in this meeting, I'm probably one of the few women in the lounges because, like, that's just how that works. It's been very shocking to me, too, that, like, the airlines just don't, they don't make it easy for you. It's like they have affinity programs for everybody, but somehow it's like you're still an alien if you're, like, a person of color in a fancy airport lounge. Yeah, they don't know what to do with us. They just are always stymied or shocked or surprised to see us in these spaces, which makes me use them even more. I know. I love that. Just really doubling down on the place. So you said that you, so you're flying exclusively first class right now? I only fly first class, yeah. I used to buy two seats in coach and airlines are not at all equipped to handle that. Like when you do the supposed right thing for everyone's comfort, including my own, they're like, why do you have two tickets? And they always make a big deal of it. And then when they're doing the head count before you take off, it becomes this whole thing. And I just got humiliated one time too many. So now I just tell organizers, if you want me to come to your event, 
you have to pay for a first class ticket and it's non-negotiable and I've gotten to a place in my career where I where that's possible for me which is great that's such an important point too that you're making I think that it's so ridiculous that it's this whole idea of having bigger bodies in plane is instead of it becoming easier Actually, because they're trying to cram more people into the airplane, it has now become a problem. Like, I'm also a fat woman. I've never had experiences where I needed a seatbelt extender or getting another seat, but I've really noticed that the humiliation factor for people that do has become just so much more, which is so ridiculous because a lot of times, like, fat customers actually spend more money (laughs) flying. Correct. And, uh... You know, just there's just like no grace and no just no dignity in that kind of flying experience. And again, like a huge failure of the airline industry. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense that they have not adjusted to the realities of American bodies. And every single thing about the process is embarrassing. And, you know, if you don't get an extra seat, there's going to be an issue. If you do get an extra seat, there's an issue. I don't know. I think that they take pleasure in humiliating people with unruly bodies. Yeah, it's like, you know, I don't know. I feel like we're going to reach a critical mass enough where this is such an issue because I notice it so much now flying where people just have really terrible experiences. And even just from purely a customer service standpoint, I just want to tear my hair out because I'm like, people spend a lot of money for a service that is just getting worse and worse and worse. It's like air travel is just... Like, there's nothing glamorous about it anymore. No, it's just air travel. We've we've mastered this technology, and there's just no reason for the customer service for flying to be this horrible for everybody. It's just, there's no need. And I travel often enough that it's just disgraceful how bad the airlines are. When you're traveling, is there, like, something that you can't travel without? I have a blanket that I can't travel without, yes. What's the significance of the blanket? It's just a comfort tool. I love it. While we're on this topic, it's like, what else are you doing to really take care of yourself while you're on the road? Because all of this flying definitely takes its toll. It does. I'm not doing enough, honestly. So as I, my travel schedule is about to start up again. And so this time around, I'm taking my workout clothes on every trip. And I'm going to make sure that I work out at least once every other day. And I'm also trying to build in at least two days between trips so that I can just not go crazy. What's currently on your travel playlist? I listen to a lot of DJ Khaled (laughs) because I follow him on Snapchat. And he's just so bizarre and so confident and so all about talking about himself at all times. And I just, I don't know, I admire it in some weird way. Um, but right now on my playlist, I have uh, Closer by Tegan and Sarah, Offset by T.I. because it was in Fast and Furious 7, and Turn My Swag On by Soldier Boy, which is what I listen to when I'm boarding the plane and people are getting on my nerves because they don't know how to board. And Ultralight Beam, Jumpman, of course, Rihanna, Player's Anthem, Oh, my God. International Players Anthem for the International Jet Setter. Yep, what it is. Thank you so much for making the time, Roxanne. It means a lot to me. Can you tell us where people can find your work if they want to know more about what you're up to? You can find my work in my last book, Bad Feminist, and my novel, An Untamed State. 
And there's a list of everything I'm always working on on my website, which is RoxanneGay.com. That was Roxanne Gay, Roxanne with one N. Get it together, people. Her upcoming book, Hunger, will be out later this year. Now, let's bring Ashley and Rosie back into the studio. Ash really, really, really wanted to go somewhere in mainland Africa. And I'm going to be honest with you. Um, Seychelles, you know, sign me up. That that seemed like a, a nice, safe bet. Um, but, you know, I was not, you know, I was not gung-ho about uh, just picking a random place in Africa and just, you know, kind of starting there. Let and, me just pause right here to mention that she went to Howard. So, like, any street cred, like, all of her street cred, as far as I'm concerned, goes out the window. Like, how are you not comfortable just picking a place in mainland Africa? That's just, I just wanted to. I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like because I'm from West Africa, I can say this. Traveling to Africa is, like, very daunting, even with the internet. Yes. And I had the internet. And I was, like, so, like, oh, my God, I don't know what where to go, what to pick. I was super uncomfortable, but I did do a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of research because I was like, you know, if if I'm going to, you know, rip the Band-Aid off, I am going to do it in a way that I feel the most comfortable. So we actually tagged up with a tour group uh, when we got to South Africa, which wasn't really the sexiest thing to do on your honeymoon, especially since the majority of the tour group, tour group, would you say they were like AARP members? It and, was definitely uh, like middle aged. My kid is on their way to college, like white folks. Like that's what the tour group was. <laughs> no, there was there was like, an Asian. There was an Asian family. There was, but I mean, for the most part, it was very much like I live in suburban America and like... I'm going to venture. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I mean, and we're in a tour bus, Uh, (laughs) like across South Africa. (laughs) So I'm like... All of your Howard Street cred is going up. It's kind of gone. Like trying real hard to get the right angles on photos. Like little (laughs) do y'all know, I'm taking this from a bus. But it was really nice. I mean, I was, I studied history also in college in addition to film at Howard. And, you know, so much of the anti-apartheid movement, at least on the U.S. side, you know, happened in D.C. And it was definitely driven by students at Howard University who were like pressuring the U.S. government to divest from South Africa. And so I felt that I felt like I was connected in some way to South Africa just because I had studied you know, their anti-apartheid movement there and just the communication strategies that they, you know, um, use to to kind of, like, make things happen. But so. I'll say this, you know, the race relations that are going on in South Africa are very, like, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's getting better, but it is very in your face. And, uh, and I, I think, you know, we had a great time, but we had this tour guide. He had been in Africa. He's a, he's a white guy who had a, a, a Dutch background. You know, born and raised in South Africa, so you know, went through the apartheid mo- apartheid movement, and you know, was on the other side of that. And I just found myself kind of, you know, when he would say certain things, just kind of looking at him like, "Are are you serious?" So much so that, like, at the end of it, you know, he's telling us, "Oh, 
hey, we typically give tips at the end of this. He's doing his little spiel. So if you like my touring, you know, on average, people give this amount. And then the guy who's been driving the bus the entire time is this black guy. And he was super, super, super sweet. And, and, of course, we did the black person nod with him and and had that camaraderie. And he was like, oh, well, you can give me this this amount, but you can give him, like, oh, I think maybe a fifth of what he was recommending for himself. And so, you know, he's sitting there while we're exiting the bus. And I literally took all the money I had in my pocket, and it was a lot of rands left, (laughs) and handed it to the bus driver in front of him. And that moment, I mean, I don't know. That's matter, y'all. She's not going to go to Africa and, like, not save the Africans, right? Okay, I'm not trying to save the Africans, but I just wanted to do it in front of his face. That's all I have to say. No, I mean, and I, I feel that, too. It definitely was real. And, I mean, I think that black Americans have these, like, romantic ideas about going back to Africa, and... I don't feel like we went there with that. We were just looking for a really great time in, like, a new place with people who looked like us. And I will say, though, that it was interesting through some of the checkpoints and when we went through through customs, like, people were definitely like, wow, it's great to see y'all. Like, I had on my Howard sweatshirt. Like, people definitely were like... It's great to see y'all? Like, really? No, seriously. No, people were like, tell more people from Howard to come. I mean, they definitely recognize, you know, Howard, um, you know, university. And so, I mean, that was cool, you know, and it, it made you feel warm and fuzzy, but I didn't, I wasn't expecting people to like throw out roses and be like, welcome home sister or anything like that. Ashley and Rosie, y'all are just too much. But if you still want more from Ashley and Rosie, and I know you do, you can check out photos and commentary from their Africa trip at onshegoes.com. You know what time it is? It's time for the three H's. Today, Melissa gives us tips on dealing with harassment abroad. Street harassment can be tricky. When something happens, really try to pause and take a second to think about what the appropriate reaction is. Clapping back might not always be in your best interest in a foreign country. It helps to research the destination before you go. The extent of the harassment as well as the recourse may vary from place to place. Find out if there's community policing or if the country's law enforcement even handles harassment reports. Just know that verbal assault is something that you might get on a regular basis. It can be a lot. But share how you're feeling with those around you and try your best to not let it frustrate you so much that you don't enjoy the other aspects of your journey. Thanks for the always helpful three H's, Melissa. Up next, I sit down with Sada Ahmed. My name is Sada, and I am co-founder of Everyday People, among other events as well. Everyday People is a monthly brunch where people of color come together to eat, dance, network, and celebrate. It started among friends in downtown New York and has quickly grown into a national and even international event. So here's the thing. I am a notorious brunch hater. First of all, I like to sleep in, and two... There's kind of, you know, a very white girl reputation that surrounds brunch, and I would rather not be implicated in that. But when I walked into my first Everyday People event, that all changed for me. My brunch views were immediately transformed. It's very clear that Sada and her team are creating an important, intentional space for people of color, and I wanted to hear more about it. I think for especially people of color, there there, there needs to be a safe space where we can have fun and network and and. Working in that world, like, I don't want to say nightlife because it's a day party, but you can see that there's 
always some pushback with venues or like promoters when it comes to an event that's typically all black or majority black. I don't know why, but they seem to think that we get, we can get in a fight or there's always drama. But this goes to show that we can all be in a space and enjoy each other and have a good time. Everyday People is expanding internationally, right? Yeah. And you just had your first party in Barbados. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like? It was interesting. Um, we were approached by the tourism board and I... The Barbados tourism yeah, board? Yeah, yeah. That's rad. Yeah, it was pretty, like, came out of nowhere. I was very excited. And their main focus was to bring a younger demographic to the island. It's pretty pretty much an older crowd that goes to Barbados. Like, when we went to do a site visit on the plane, there was, like, six wheelchairs and, like... Pretty sure I was the youngest person on the flight. So aside from the people who are from there, and crop over is a big thing, but this was, like, off-season. So they wanted to, like, bring in younger people, but not, like, on a spring break, like, woo, party, crazy. They wanted, like, young professionals, black folks, you know. We're doing New Year's in Zanzibar. How did you pick the location? MoMA, my business partner, who's also the DJ, he went last year, I believe, and, oh, my gosh, he fell in love with it. And his photos were phenomenal. So he was like, this would be perfect for, like, just to like a getaway for people and a lot we have a lot of friends who want to go to the continent so maybe that could be like a segue you know feel Mm -hmm. a little bit more comfortable going together with people that you know did you find that like people were bringing a friend and coming along or you know like are there couples or mm, barbados couples because for me like the appeal of like thinking about your zanzibar trip is i'm like i want to meet like new kinds of people Yeah, so <laughs> you know, this and so is, it's like, with, what, with, what's the profile of the people who are going? With any trip we do, we try and incorporate a lot of local vibes. Like, we invite locals to our events. We invite locals to participate so that you can meet new people. Like, if you're going to travel all the way from Brooklyn, well, your Brooklyn friends, stay in the hotel, hang out with them. What's the point? Like, you need to be forced to hang out with other people, in my opinion. No, I completely agree. What do you pack for a trip like that? Bathing suits, shorts, summer dresses, nothing really. (laughs) Sunscreen, sunscreen. Yeah, black people never want to talk about how much sunscreen you have to wear. Oh, yeah, I wear it every day. Every single day, yo, SPF 40. Yes. I want to move on a little bit and talk about your background. You're Mm -hmm. an Ethiopian Somali woman, Mm -hmm. and you're born in Kenya Mm -hmm. and raised in Georgia. Mm -hmm. How did, you know, all of these different black experiences really in black cultures, like how did that shape your identity and your own idea of blackness? Oh, man. It's complicated. I feel like I I come from a first-generation, um, I'm a first-generation woman, and I l- grew up in a predominantly African-American community, but also um, where I grew up in Georgia was also, there, there were a lot of refugees. So I have a mix of my idea of blackness. I, 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 I see it more as the diaspora and all types of people. I don't, I don't have a, one vision of what blackness means to me. It's just so diverse. Yeah. I I am also a first-generation African person living in America, but I, you know, this idea of success always revolves around academics. Oh, yes. And so I'm wondering how your family has reacted to the success of everyday people. Um, my mom doesn't get it, and I don't think she needs to. <laughs> Uh, it's just like she's happy for me. I mean, for her, she just wants me to be able to pay off my student loans and own a home and have a savings. And if she does not see that immediately, she's just like, what are you doing with your life? You need to go back to school. You need to 
leave New York City. New York City is not a place where you can save money. And so now this year has been like a turning point year for me. I spent some time with her in Kenya for two months and I kind of wanted her to understand my struggle. Like, you know, I'm building towards something. It's not an overnight success. I'm not going to like nursing school and then out the jump getting like a $70,000, $80,000 job. Like, it's something that is mine. And, you know, I think she appreciates that. She always told me, you know, I want you to work for yourself, but I think it's difficult to actually see that. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's a lot of sacrifice. It's not, it's like paychecks or it's feast or famine. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's like, whoa, shit, I'm rich, bitch. And then, <laughs> and then, and then you're like, oh, no. Like, do I need to go on food stamps? Like, it's it's hit or miss. But I think that, Recently, you know, we've grown as a business and I've learned a lot and she can see that. And um, I think she's proud of me. I hope so. Once I buy her a house, she's going to be quiet. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, but that's the that's like the immigrant kid dream, and, right? And get married. That's the, that's the end game. You're like, I'm going to get married in the backyard of the house that I bought from my parents, <laughs> and then they're going to stop pounding me. Exactly. But then, but then they'll ask you for a baby. There, it's never ending. It never ends. It never ends. So we just all, we just all adapt to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the last question, Sada, where can our listeners find your work? You can find us on everydayppnyc.com or you can follow us on Instagram, um, which is everydayppnyc. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. What a pleasure. Oh, thank you. To see the photos from Everyday People Zanzibar and more info on future Everyday People trips, go to onshegoes.com. Now it's time for Around the World with Anaya. This week, I'm talking about Miami, Florida. I know what you might be thinking. Business doing what? But the city of Miami is really shedding that Miami Vice vibe. And in the words of one of Miami's most famous Snapchat celebrities, Benjamin Kicks, business is booming. From the revamping of the arts and entertainment districts to the growing fame of artsy neighborhood Wynwood and Art Basel Miami, it's holding down its own as a cultural center at the perfect nexus between North and South America. Here are three things to check out while you're in this international city. Wynwood Walls and the Wynwood Neighborhood. Sure, you've seen photos of the Wynwood Walls ad nauseum on Instagram, but this place is definitely worth seeing for yourself. Delve deep into the reformation of the neighborhood and its cultural ramifications. Make it worth your while and book a bike or walking tour with Miami's best graffiti guide. Tell Ryan the wheelbarrow that I sent you. Toro Toro. Definitely do lunch at Toro Toro. Located in the Intercontinental Hotel in downtown Miami, this restaurant is the place to be seen power lunching. Miami beachgoers love their cocktails, even over a working lunch. And Toro Toro's delicious cocktail program only rivals their amazing lunchtime buffet. That's right, I said buffet. This isn't your grandmother's buffet, though. This is Latin Steakhouse serving up delicious cuts of steaks, plantains, delicious pork shoulders, ceviche. I could go on. There's so much more. But don't get too filled. There's a certain signature dessert, La Bomba, that I know you're going to want to save room for. The Arts Center. That's A-R-S-H-T. The Arts and Design District of downtown Miami is definitely at the helm of this Miami change. So take in a performance at the Arts Center when you're in town. From a world-class opera house to a black box theater, the Art Center spaces seem to have it all. And it's no wonder, considering its diversity of programming from major Broadway shows like The Phantom of the Opera and The Lion King, to avant-garde productions like The Donkey Show, 
an immersive play experience combining Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream with a fully functioning nightclub. As always, you can get Anaya's recommendations on our site, onshegoes.com. Okay, that's it for today. Let's get back to biz. Thanks so much for listening to On She Goes, the podcast. Don't forget to check out onshegoes.com for more travel stories, tips, and inspiration. It's also where you'll find all of my favorite business travel photos and recommendations. I'm your host, Amina Tuso. On She Goes is produced by me and Barry Finkel for Pineapple Street Media in partnership with Sarita Wesley, Lizzie Harris, and Natalie Huzenga for Wyden and Kennedy Publishing. Special thanks to Jenna Weiss-Berman, Max Linsky, Emily Becker, Lindsay Mavis, Sarah Fink, Marmoset, and APM. Bye.